Welcome into the Grace Point Daily Podcast. My name is Jeremiah Johnson. This is going to be episode number 92. It's going to be a verse-by-verse edition with Rick Maynard. Before we dive in, thanks for listening. We exist to bring you daily encouragement for your daily walk with Christ. And as I have been talking about the past few episodes, we are getting ready for the historic 100th episode of the Grace Point Daily Podcast. We're really excited about that. And like I said, we have some really cool real-life stories coming down the pipe the next few episodes. Pastor Rachel is going to be sharing her story. We have a girl named Jessica Neely and just some really cool stories. So I really want you to dial in and pay attention to the next few episodes and just help us just uh, just come to that 100th episode just screaming into that, just just going full bore into it, all right? So here we are. Rick Maynard, how are you doing today? I'm good. It's a good day. All right. We're going to get into the Word of God. I won't even do your intro today. We'll just, we'll just dive right into it. This is verse by verse. It's where we go through the Bible verse by verse with Rick Maynard. He's a teacher here at Grace Point Church, and he takes people through the Word of God on a regular basis on Sunday morning, but then we do it in a podcast version as well. So I hope that you're enjoying it. Rick, let's dive in. Okay, we are in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 12, and as you know, it takes a long time for us. We stop on each verse, and we just go as far as we can go, and when we're time's up, we stop there and pick it up the next week. So yes, sir. Uh, we're at verse uh, 12, and I'm reading 12 and 13 together, and this is following um, when God asked Solomon what he wanted, and Solomon asked for wisdom. He didn't ask for all kinds of things. He just wanted wisdom to be able to govern. And so this is God's uh, response to Solomon. It says, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And so it, it's an amazing thing that uh, he had been humble enough to ask for wisdom. He didn't ask for all those things we mentioned last week that a person might ask for. If somebody, if God said, what do you want? You know, our first response might be to uh, ask for riches and popularity. And, uh, you know, those things might run through our mind quickly. But for Solomon, he says, just give me wisdom uh, that I can govern your people. And I think that's a good prayer for all of us. But Amen. It's, it's amazing because he says, in addition to, in other words, you've asked for uh, what, uh, what you want, but I'm going to give you more. That word, moreover, in other words, in addition to what you've asked for, I'm going to give you even more. And most people that, that uh, are involved in the Christian life will say that's what God's done for them. You know, we've asked for things, we've said God, I want your will in my life and and bless my finances or bless my family or whatever. And we may have, we all have things that have troubled us in our lifetime. But I think all of us would say, if we were truthful, we would say, God has blessed me far more than I deserve. So yeah. we t- I don't know that there's a direct connection, but we were going through this verse as a group of pastors the other day. Exceedingly, abundantly, above right. all I could ask or imagine. Yeah, and that's what... That's what he does, and I know sometimes it, it doesn't seem like that when you're going right. through the trial. <laughs> it feels like you're getting nothing, you know, almost like God's taking away, not giving sometimes. But in the long run, most of us come back and say, even through that trial, 
you know, I learned so many things mm-hmm. that uh, that will help me in my future. So, and he puts that riches and honor in in the same thing, and it says in your lifetime, and in his lifetime, there may have been someone who was richer, and there may have been someone who had more honor. But he puts those things together as if it's something that I'm giving you that most people get would be happy just to have riches or would be happy just to be honored. You know, I've said sometimes people would take less money to get to be the boss. Mm -hmm. And uh, so uh, he's giving him uh, everything that he asked for plus something else. And I, the, the, in Ecclesiastes 9-11, Solomon's talking here and he says, bread does not belong to the wise nor wealth to the understanding nor favor to the knowledgeable. Solomon has a, uh, a grasp of how important wealth and those kind of things are. He didn't ask for that. And in respect to the honor in Ecclesiastes 5.9, he says, he who loves popularity will have no crops. So if you're into this, if, if you want to be a, a pastor or a, a teacher or whatever, just so somebody can pat you on the back and tell you how great you are and those kind of things, I mean, and that's pretty... Uh, that's a pretty big statement to say if you seek popularity, you'll have no crops. In other words, it's it's relating it to your financial situation. If you're after just popularity, mm. it's going to affect even down to your money that you get. Yeah. And, uh, and it says, you know, and I think these verses, if you're going to look at the Bible, I know in in the times of, if we would ask the question, who is the most influential person in the Bible? Well, you know, we get all spiritual. We say God first, yep. and but then <laughs> we say, well, Jesus. Yep. You know, but I think when it comes down to it, it would be uh, obviously God. But the power rankings. Yeah, well, I'm a sports guy. They always do these power rankings right. list. Mm-hmm. God, Jesus, yeah. Holy then, Spirit, Moses, right? But David, I think Solomon. Solomon. <laughs> Solomon you know, yeah, he, he's right. the the wisest man that ever lived. I would think. If you want to know some things, you probably ought to read what Solomon had to say. And and it's God-given wisdom, but uh, we probably ought to pay attention to the things that Solomon wrote, yeah. the Psalms, the Proverbs, the uh, Ecclesiastes, you know, those kind of things. So uh, verse 14 and 15, and if you walk in my ways, so this is in addition to that previous verses, and if you walk in my ways and obey my statutes and command as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke, so he'd been, all this had been spoken to him in a dream, and he realized it had been a dream. He returned to Jerusalem, stood before the Ark of the Lord's Covenant, and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then he gave a feast for all his court. So uh, some prov- or, uh, promises are conditional. These are not conditional. He's just saying, I'm giving you this. This is for you. Had it been conditional when Solomon sinned, when Solomon fell away, if he didn't do certain things, um, you know, those things could be taken away. But he's saying, if you do these things, if you follow in my ways, then these things, you'll have a long life. So there's conditional, there's non-conditional uh, promises that God makes. Some things he just says, you know, if I'm saved, I'm saved. It's not based on my works. Yep, it's not yeah. based on anything else. That's a promise of God. So and it, it and it, if you walk in my ways, and that has to do with being relational. So it's not about just obeying commands and and rules, but 
walking in his ways, if you're walking with the Lord, it, it has to do really with even back mm-hmm. to Adam and Eve walking in the garden. It was a relational yeah. thing, taking a walk yeah, with the Lord. And, uh, and it's not, it doesn't, ex- it, it, nobody expects perfection in any of these things, but it's, it says walking as David, your father did. Well, David made a lot of mistakes too. Mm-hmm. You would think he would say, well, as Moses or as some other great man, as Abraham did, but he says, walk in my ways as your father, David. And so you're not, we're not expected to be a hundred percent obedient in the statutes and the commands and He's just saying, if you're as good as David, yeah. you'll have long life. I'm running with this off for a second just because I've been doing these podcasts, Real Life Stories Edition. Mm-hmm. So check out the last one, Kim Darnell. It's really good. But I did one with Kim Darnell, an author, girl who's in my youth group. I did one yesterday with a girl who is my youth pastor. Mm-hmm. And then I'm doing one with my wife. And those three stories are of women who... We're basically kind of, I joked about you, you're saved, you've been saved so long that you don't even know when you got saved, right. but yet it's interesting when you really get into their story, you realize they still have to live a life. They've still had to live a life for Jesus and there's still struggle. There's still obstacle. There's still failure. There's still success. Right. So sometimes we, we hold up, or I guess maybe that's for me, I should be speaking to myself. Maybe we hold up these people who've just been Christians forever. They're not excused from still having to live a life of faith. Right. And with that life of faith comes many, many different things. Mm -hmm. And we see that there's still the struggle. And and for every person, no matter how saved you are, there's still battles and struggles that we all have to walk through. And if, you know, I think these stories are, are great for uh, David prior to Solomon and now Solomon, and we haven't got to Solomon's shortcomings yet. You know, it all sounds like, man, he's this perfect man. But we know if you've read this story at all, we mm-hmm. know Solomon uh, had some shortcomings too. But I think it, it's it speaks to us when we start condemning ourselves. Oh, man, I, I've messed up. You know, I did this thing I shouldn't have done. I said this thing I shouldn't have said. And we start condemning ourselves for things. We need to be reminded that the wisest man who ever lived made mistakes. You know, yeah. so it's it's a it's a good example for us of just someone else in the Word, and that's why we have these stories. We have these stories to tell us that they were human, like we're human. We're going to make mistakes, and it doesn't. Uh, you know, the grace of God doesn't excuse us to just go out and sin because, well, you know, they made mistakes too. It's amazing. So. You know, we're all human. We're normal. It's. I have one story. Well, two stories, real quick. But it's kind of the hero syndrome that we fall into in America. Mm-hmm. We admire someone who's super spiritual or great or rich, and we view them with uh, as if they are perfect. And my first story is this: when I was in North Central University in Minneapolis, I was valley parking for a Marriott, and we got all the NBA teams. We got movie right. stars. We got NFL players. We got MLB players. And I didn't. It's not like I became buddies with anybody. Right. But one thing I did see is that they're all just human right. and that they're all just real people. And most of them just have more zeros in their bank account right. than I do. That's right. the only difference yep. as a human being. And then secondly, in terms of spirituality, I have a great friend that uh, is an evangelist and was kind of a mentor younger on in my faith journey. And as I served the Lord and in ministry, and he's, a, he's a very dynamic evangelist and He's very attractive. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not talking about physically, but people are very drawn right. to him and those kind of things. And I remember, uh, you know, people kind of looked to him as this just epic, mega spiritual person. Mm-hmm. 
And he is in his own right in, in many different ways. But I remember when we first moved to Denver, I lived with him for a month or something. We, mm-hmm. we had an apartment, but it didn't work out. And we ended up, we're kind of homeless for just a month mm-hmm. until we got another apartment and landing on our feet. And he let us live with him, which was very awesome. But in those moments, I, <laughs> after that time, I was like, wait, well, he's just a dude. Right. You know, I mean, I never saw him levitate the whole time. <laughs> uh, I never saw... Um, you know, I didn't wake up in the morning and go to the breakfast mm-hmm. table and Moses and Elijah were there right. with him right. uh, having breakfast. Uh, <laughs> you know, I didn't see a transfiguration. I didn't. And I walked away from that being like, man, we, we really hype people up sometimes. Oh, yeah. And that's really helped me in my Christian walk. Cause I don't, I mean, there definitely are some, some preachers or some writers, I guess, of books that have some popularity that, if they walked in today, I'd be like, whoa, that's really cool. It's like the first time I saw Shaquille O'Neal mm-hmm. uh, in an elevator. Uh, that was amazing, you know, because right. that's my second favorite player of all time. But, you know, I, I still have a little bit of that. I can't say I wouldn't have that for certain people. Right. If Donald Trump pulled up right now in a limo, I'd mm-hmm. probably get really freaked out and be like, oh, let me uh, mm-hmm. button up my shirt or, you know, whatever. Um, go brush my hair or something. But we're just people. And Solomon was in that same boat, I, although he was godly and rich and powerful yet we're going to see and find out he had struggle and he was real right and it it talks about that he had long life and and again we don't want to jump way ahead in the story but let me just say it says (laughs) if you walk in my command in my ways obey my statutes and commands as david your father did i will give you a long life that was the that was the promise we know david lived to be 70 which was the basically considered the life then if you live to be 70 that was a long life and there's you know i kind of researched about solomon a little bit and there's always disputes about not always but a lot of times there's just disputes about age of somebody because they don't take into account you know lapses between verses and different things like that Mm -hmm. but the the longest uh, i i read different accounts one of them said he was 58 or 59 when he died one said 60 one said 52, and the longest one said between 74 and 80 years old. So apparently, if you look at that now, apparently he didn't obey the statutes and commands mm-hmm. because he didn't get a long life. So you have a promise here, but we know in the end he must not have kept that promise because God's promise will stand true. Yeah. If you obey, keep my statutes and my commands, walk in my ways, then you'll have a long life. And if he, it, the very longest here would have been 80. So he lived 10 years past the normal lifespan of the time. I wouldn't consider that a long life. I mean, if somebody, I think now the average is 77 so, or yep. something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, if a guy lives to be 87, we can say, well, that's pretty good. But there's a lot of guys that are 87 years old that are in pretty good health yeah. and you know, I would think if you were living with his statutes and commands with a promise of a long life, you'd live it to be 100, you know. And <laughs> I, so I think Solomon, I mean, it's evident there that he didn't obey because he didn't get that long life that God promised. Yeah. So so this takes a turn now, and sometimes our when we're reading these verses, uh, it, it comes to a point now of these promises these things that have been told to Solomon about the amount of wisdom he's going to have, all of those things are coming to a head now. And this story has been told many times. I'm sure there's been lots of sermons preached right. on this. It may have even been left out because, you know, I came from a time 
I might I, even preach about it this Sunday. No right. <laughs> well, yeah, you can. Here, you need my notes. That's the way. But um, I, I remember a time, and and I know some people out there would be like, "What? I mean, really?" Yeah. But I remember a time in the church you would not say the word sex. You would not say the word pregnant. <laughs> they were with child. Pregnant was was too closely attached to a sexual word. So, I mean, I'm, I'm serious. Oh, and so the church, what a fun place. Yeah. You didn't say (laughs) pregnant. You didn't say sex, Uh, you know, those kind of things in the church. You had another, you Mm -hmm. know, we, in my early days, we would not have had, and this, uh, I'm surprised people serve the Lord at all in in the church, but uh, we've had times where they wouldn't have a baby shower for somebody because they got pregnant and they weren't married. Yeah. And it's right. like, well, that would be condoning mm-hmm. what they've done, and we need to make sure they understand that they're you know, horrible. That they sinned, people, <laughs> you know? and I and I know that sounds. People are out there going like, "You're crazy," but I well, used I to am say, crazy. But. <laughs> yeah, I used to. It's funny in California. I, I'm Nebraskan, but I pastored in California when I was younger, and so dude was a lot a, a bigger part of my vocabulary right. at the right. time and i still use it it's a great word i mean it can be a verb a yeah. noun an adjective it's, mm-hmm. it's a great word but anyway one time i was preaching and i just happened to use dude several times mm-hmm. and there was an old lady in the church and she came up and was like i was just so offended by what you said and I thought, you know, the sermon was uh-huh. pretty good. I mean, as every sermon I preach is really good, well, yeah, you know. Of course. <laughs> but I was like, what? what what was what's the problem? She's like, "Well, you said you kept saying dude." And she's like, "It just kept taking me back to where I grew up. There was a dude ranch by our <laughs> and I guess a dude ranch was like a a brothel, a, a yeah. pros- are you familiar with that? Yeah, yeah. Up to that point, I had never heard that in my entire life that a dude ranch was a brothel mm-hmm. prostitution house. <laughs> I was like, well, lesson learned, I guess, yeah. you know. Yeah, maybe I should. So next time you're preaching, you throw out dude, you see that old lady right. plugging her ears like, you yeah. know, what's going on now. So so that, uh, I said all that to say this <laughs> sermon maybe wasn't preached very much because it talks about some, it uh, says, uh, verse uh, 16, now two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. So, you know, maybe they wouldn't talk about, oh, this is, you know, kind of taboo here. We're going to talk about prostitutes or whatever. <laughs> so. But And we don't know if this was, again, time lapses between verses. It may have been the same day that he had the dream. In other words, God wanted to prove right away that I'm going to keep my promise to you. I'm going to give you wisdom. And so here's your first um, place, your first opportunity to show the wisdom that I'm giving you. And, uh, you know, one of the questions is, well, why would two prostitutes, the very first case that he's going to hear, have access to come and see the king? And uh, they, somebody said someplace in some things I was reading talked about um, that maybe uh, they had been tried in another court and th- there was no decision made, and so they brought it to Solomon, knowing he was supposed to be wise. But, you know, he hasn't established himself as a man of wisdom yet. Right. So not everybody knows about this dream. You know, he's not known. It says he's going to be wiser than anyone in the land, but nobody knows that yet. It takes time to establish that, and so this is the first uh, chance. And there's there's some dispute to when when they talk about prostitutes and harlots. Um, Rahab they talked about was a, a, a harlot, calls her a harlot. There's some debate. Some say that a harlot was a um, more of an innkeeper that she wasn't necessarily a prostitute that hired out. So there was a little distinction between the two words, but it calls these two 
prostitutes uh, in this case. And, uh, you know, it seems odd, too, that prostitutes would be that concerned about children. You know, you would think um, because of the life that they're living that they wouldn't Mm -hmm. really be all that concerned about children uh, in this case. But anyway, this is his first opportunity to show wisdom and humility by allowing these two what you would call dirty women to come before the king in the land to make a decision. So verse 17, one of them said, my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house. I had a baby while she was there with me. So again, we would call it a whorehouse today. And and that's probably another one of those words that would never be Mm -hmm. used. And and I always have to tell this, this is a, I thought was a funny story, but I remember one time, I was barely, I was probably 20 years old, and I was just helping with the youth group. I wasn't uh, the leader or the teacher or whatever. But um, one of the, they were reading a verse or something, and it talked about whoremongers. Okay. (laughs) And so one of the little 12, 13-year-old kids said, what's a whoremonger? (laughs) And uh, the leader was kind of taken back. You know, it was like, "Um, let me, you know. Well, this other guy spoke up, and he's just one of those guys that just, you know, wasn't raised in the church, doesn't know all the correct way Mm -hmm. to explain things. And he said, he said, well, he said, I think I can explain it. He said, if somebody really loved bologna sandwiches, (laughs) they would be a bologna sandwich monger. (laughs) And you could see the wheels turning, and the kid's like, oh. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, it all makes so. sense now. That's <laughs> anyway, one way better, to look at it. Yeah, we better move on from there. But and tell um, my wife that I, probably, I love you like a bologna sandwich. <laughs> yeah, we might get in trouble <laughs> when on this I think podcast. of bologna. I think of okay, yeah. okay. Here we go. Uh, verse eighteen. The third day after my child was born, this woman also had a baby. We were alone. There was no one in the house but the two of us. So there's two babies, three days apart with no witnesses. That's what you're dealing with right up front. Verse 19, during the night, this woman's son died because she lay on him. I don't, I don't know if that's her interpretation. Obviously, she wouldn't know what happened to the woman's baby, but that's her interpretation of that. And, you know, we, I, I mentioned this in class the other day. We think sometimes when we read stories about people who lose a baby or we know someone who's lost a, a newborn, I mean, they were talking three days here. And um, when someone loses a baby, we think sometimes that, well, that's not that tragic because they haven't had a chance to really know them. That baby never was able to speak and say, I love you, and, uh, you know, those kind of things. And sometimes I think we, we don't realize the tragedy of a mother who loses a baby. Yeah, And And right. so I think reading yes, this yes. story you have to think about this, just how much of a tragedy it is. And I, I don't think any of us, obviously, if we haven't even experienced it in our family or whatever, but especially as men, I don't think we realize the attachment of yep. a mother and child that, you know, she's known that baby for nine months, you know, as fathers really the day the baby's born seems to be the first introduction of that mm-hmm. baby but I think with a mother, she has lived with that baby for nine months. Yeah. It's grown inside of her. Yep. And, and so I think there is a special attachment. And so f- when you read this story, it is a, a tragic 
thing, even though we're looking at this story like, well, I can't believe that woman did that. Well, you know, let's just read on. So she got up in the middle of the night, this verse 20, and took my son from my side while I, your servant, was asleep and put her by her breast and put her dead son by my breast. So uh, grief will make you do crazy stuff. And that's why they talk about don't make decisions after you lose someone. And, you know, grief will cause us to do some crazy things. Uh, We've read stories of someone that cut their baby or cut some lady's baby, I'm sorry, cut some lady's stomach open to steal her baby, which just is is (laughs) wild to think about what people will do. And but honestly, I was surprised. I, I look into things. I like statistics and numbers and things like that. But I looked into this just a little bit about uh, infant abductions and those kind of things. And I was really, I guess you'd say, pleasantly surprised because we hear the stories once in a while where somebody stole a baby from a hospital or where somebody was raised by this family and then they found out that they had been stolen as a baby or something. So we, you would think that would be a happens every day. Mm-hmm. But when I looked up some of the t- statistics from 1965 to 2019, there's only 327 abductions. Wow. Now, for 327 people, that was a tragic thing, but it's really not as big a numbers. 140 of those were from healthcare facilities. 140 were from homes, uh, 47 from the other locations. And out of, out of that 327, 16 are still missing. So that's a pretty good statistic in being able to keep yeah. track of, of the Lower babies. than I would guess, for right. sure. And I would bet most of those came or, or back in the 60s, 70s, maybe whatever, before you had the security issues that we have today. It's hard to steal a baby today. Trust me, I tried. Right. I mean, no, I, <laughs> yeah, I yeah. mean, I've heard yeah. about that. But I wouldn't try to steal a baby. Who wants a baby crying around? So <laughs> give that baby back, but... Large, uh, the largest majority are not from maternal instinct. So it's not because a woman really wants a baby, but a lot of it's done because they're trying to keep their man. Mm. They don't want to lose the husband. They think that's going to tie them to the man by having that baby. And so a lot of those kidnappings and things are done because of a boyfriend or a husband that they're trying to, to hang on to. They think there'll be an attachment because they have that baby to help hold the the family yeah. together, wow. in other words. But uh, verse 21, the next morning I got up to nurse my son and he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning light, I saw that it wasn't the son I had born. And I I thought, what a uh, sway of emotion to wake up thinking that your baby that's laying next to you is dead, only to find out that that's not my baby after all. My baby's alive. I mean, that sway, and I, I tell this story, I've told it probably many times, probably not on a podcast, but um, when I lived in, I lived in Russellville, Arkansas for about a year and worked on the ambulance service there, and they had a uh, a guy that came in one day, uh, Code Blue, they were doing CPR, doing all that, and uh, they went through all the process of trying to revive this guy, and, and he died, and so they called the wife, and uh, brought her in and said, you know, is your husband, whatever, John Doe? And yes, is he 56 years old? Yes. Um, you know, does he live in, at the time, is Pottsville, Arkansas? Does he live in Pot? Yes, he does. And said, well, ma'am, I'm sorry to tell you that 
you know, that your husband has passed away. And she said, what? I mean, you know, of course she was shocked, grief stricken. And she said, well, what happened? And they said, well, he was fishing and he just collapsed in the boat and they brought him to shore and the guys worked on him and then brought him to the, and she said, fishing, he, he was supposed to be at work. And I mean, it was just this whole, so anyway, they take her in the room, pull the sheet back and she starts laughing. And she said, that's not my husband. <laughs> and I'm sure the laughter probably came from yeah. relief, mm-hmm. you know, that that wasn't her husband, but, and, and that whole thing, there was another guy in Pottsville named John Doe, same age, you know, the, everything was the same other than that guy went fishing and her husband should have been at work that day. So you had that sway of emotions. Yeah. Your wow. husband is dead. And then you go in and that's not my husband. And I can't imagine, <laughs> of course, then you have that, you feel, Oh, I'm so right, relieved that's right. not my husband. But then there's another yeah. wife out there who's lost her husband. Wow. So it was uh, there's a, a lot of Ricky Bobbies in the world too. So I mean, you, you know what that's like. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> they stole that from me. I had that first, and then you know they stole it from me. But um, and all of these, all of this circumstance, all of this story is just assumed because there's no witnesses. So it's just two people standing there um, telling their side of the story, and nobody really knows the true story. That's why uh, the example of Solomon's decisions here are going to be so important. Yeah. Because he's making a decision based on his wisdom and his knowledge that God has given him uh, with no witnesses to, to explain anything. So we are probably at that point. We need yep. to wind it up here. So we'll just stop right there. Oh, a cliffhanger. A cliffhanger, cliffhanger today. What, what's <laughs> going to happen? Tune in next week. Well, hey, guys, thank you for joining us on this verse-by-verse edition of the Grace Point Daily Podcast. We are in 1 Kings chapter 3, so why don't you read it? Maybe you already have read it, but dive into it again. We hope that we're giving you some good stuff to munch on, think about. But thanks for listening. We'll talk to you guys next time. 